I honestly think if the doctor and when the doctor would hear that statement, they would be amazed to think that their patients felt scared, confused and powerless because to him, it was probably just another patient, another heartburn, quick chest exam, quick abdominal exam. You're listening to the Medical Protection Podcast and I'm your host, Dr. John Marwick. In today's Case Files podcast, we'll be using an actual case to look at issues around consent. In particular, what do you need in the way of consent for a routine examination, like examining a patient's chest? We'll follow the story of a GP who, after performing a seemingly straightforward cardiac examination, was called by police and requested to attend an interview under caution. We're joined today by Dr. Katie Grant, Medical Legal Lead for the Risk Prevention Division of Medical Protection Society. As always, these cases are real, however details have been changed to protect the identity of those involved. Let's start by hearing first from the doctor. A regular patient of mine came to see me with retrosternal chest discomfort. She was otherwise perfectly healthy, mid-twenties, so after taking a history, I performed a cardiovascular and abdominal exam. During the course of the exam, I palpated for the apex beat, palpated the abdomen and identified some epigastric tenderness, took her blood pressure and so on. She left seeming happy with the diagnosis. A few days later, on the Saturday morning actually, I received a phone call from the police. They said an allegation of sexual abuse had been made against me. At first, I, I thought it was absurd. I mean, I even said to them, I, that's, that's ridiculous. They said I'd have to attend an interview under caution at the police station. I felt sick, ashamed. It turned out I was accused of touching the patient inappropriately during the cardiovascular exam. It was a shock. In retrospect, perhaps I should have been clear about what I was doing. In, in fact, I should have offered a chaperone, but... <laughs> For a quick cardio exam, I didn't even think of it. I can't describe how it, it feels to be accused of something like that. It, it was a misunderstanding, but it landed me in an awful situation. And I was in a dark place for a while. Yeah, I, of course, as a GP, I know the possibility of complaints comes with a job. But that situation made me far more aware of the risks. Katie, that, that's a pretty, pretty difficult situation for any doctor to be in. Uh, from your experience, are such sorts of complaints common? Thanks, John. Uh, well, unfortunately, um, they're not infrequent. And it's something we often hear about uh, when the members are very panicked, they may call us. Uh, to say they've been contacted by the police. They may ring our advice line uh, over the weekend or even in the evening. And obviously, like in this example, it often comes out of the blue. There's no expectation or anticipation that this kind of complaint may be coming. So they're not common, but unfortunately, they are not infrequent. Oh, gosh. Uh, and you're based in London, mm -hmm. but you've got a, a pretty good understanding of, uh, of situations around the world. So is this something that just happens in the NHS or do you think it happens elsewhere? 
Well, during my eight years as a medical legal consultant, I've assisted doctors and other healthcare professionals in the UK, the Caribbean, Bermuda, Hong Kong, Malaysia and Singapore. And unfortunately, these allegations are not restricted to one jurisdiction, although the cultures may be different and uh, the background stories may be different. Unfortunately, I would say doctors and other healthcare professionals are vulnerable to this type of complaint wherever they are practicing, be that in the public or private sector. Gosh. And, and this was a general practitioner. I guess it's also a risk for other uh, specialists. Absolutely. We don't tend to see, um, in my experience, any particular pattern in the specialties. I've assisted a physiotherapist, for example. I've assisted GPs and specialist doctors working in hospitals. Um, so again, I wouldn't say one uh, specialty is more protected than the other. Of course, there may be some factors that make patients less likely to be in a situation uh, where they feel the need to complain. Uh, but again, I, I wouldn't say there's any particular pattern or, or specialty that puts a doctor at risk. What about women doctors? I would say the number of allegations of this nature leveled at female doctors and healthcare professionals are very, very low. The vast majority of cases and the ones that I've personally dealt with involve doctors who tend to be slightly older and the patients in question tend to be younger females. So not only do you have the power differential sort of between doctor and patient, you also have an age differential and the gender gap. That tends to be, unfortunately, the overriding pattern that we see. Gosh. Now, this doctor was asked to go for a police interview under caution. Is that a common first step? Again, it does depend a little bit on the jurisdiction. So we find either the doctor or healthcare professional will be contacted by the police. So they may be called on the telephone. They may even go to their practice, their clinic or the hospital, or they may um, contact their manager to try and arrange a meeting. Other patients may go straight to the clinic or hospital in the first instance. Sometimes these allegations come to us as a more formal complaint, in which case there's always that threat that perhaps the police will become involved. So actually approaches can come directly from the patient or from the police themselves. Wow. And police take this sort of thing pretty seriously, I guess. Yes, as you can understand, particularly in the, the shift of cultures that we've seen with an awareness of, unfortunately, historic sexual abuse, uh, these allegations need to be taken absolutely seriously, whether by the police or the regulator or indeed the employers working at the local level with our members. Yeah. But uh, getting that call from the police, that can be pretty difficult for the doctor, I imagine. Yeah, I mean, I've not encountered a doctor or healthcare professional who has not been devastated by this type of allegation. I think doctors and, and healthcare professionals really pride themselves on being professional. So even a complaint about clinical practice can be absolutely devastating. But to get this kind of complaint or allegation, which goes completely contrary to what we try to do as doctors, which is do no harm and make the care of the patient our first concern. An allegation of inappropriate touching is absolutely devastating for all involved. So we often have members on the phone in tears. They are often in complete shock. Um, and, and as they talk to us, it almost unravels. They think, gosh, what about work? What about my family? What about my friends? What about my colleagues? What about the press? What about social media? And suddenly this sort of uh, not even catastrophized because it can be catastrophic to a career. So that's why it's absolutely essential that we help our members to try and reduce the risk of these types of allegations being made. Absolutely. I wonder if just for a moment we can look at it from the 
patient's point of view. I've actually got a, a little clip here which takes the patient's uh, experience. Maybe we'll just listen to that, Katie. Great. This all started with what I thought was going to be just another visit. I'd seen this doctor before. He always seemed like someone you could trust, just a normal kind of person. But, um, but when I saw him last, it wasn't like that. I mean, I had chest pains, just standard heartburn. I was thinking that he'd need to check my chest and my back. But why I'd have to take my top off? And it wasn't like he asked. It was like an order. I should have just walked out then. Surely he could see I wasn't comfortable. I could feel my own heart racing. And after that, I had to lie down and do the top button on my jeans. And well, he, he felt around my waist. Look, the statements with the police, it's in their hands now. I've never felt so scared, confused, just powerless. I don't think he realizes what it's like to be in that position. Katie, listening to that, what what are the key things that you pick out of that? I I think the first thing, John, is to realize that actually there are always two sides to every story. And obviously, as medical consultants, we are here to represent our members. But it's really important we don't forget uh, what the complainants are saying and what their feelings are. I honestly think if the doctor and when the doctor would hear that statement, they would be amazed to think that their patients felt scared, confused and powerless. Because to him, it was probably just another patient, another heartburn, quick chest exam, quick abdominal exam. So I think what it does help us do as as doctors and healthcare professionals is to think about we do actually hold a lot of power and trust. And I think the other thing really is that she went in thinking it was just another visit. She'd known the doctor, there was that trust there, but she felt a shift. She felt that there was an order. Suddenly she was being told what to do and that power differential was really being emphasised. What I'm drawing out of that is that there was clearly a mismatch between what the doctor was intending to do and what the patient was expecting. And unfortunately, we see patient expectations are or mismatched expectations are really common in complaints, in claims, and in you know cases like this where there has been a, an absolute um, confusion, if you like, between what the two individuals were expecting. For a doctor, they may think, well, obviously, when I'm doing a chest exam, I'm going to ask somebody to take their top off. That's how I was taught at medical school. They may even ask the patient if they're a female to remove their bra. But many patients may think, well, the other doctor just listened through my T-shirt. And and so I think what it really screams out is there is an opportunity there for the doctor to really think about their communication and the specific communication regarding consent. So when you say to a patient, I need to listen to your heart and lungs, tell them. It's better if I ask you to remove your top. You don't need to remove your bra, but I may just need to lift up the the bottom so I can put the stethoscope in. Something like that. It doesn't have to be technical language, but the patient should understand properly what you need to do and why. So, of course, you don't need written consent for something like 
this type of examination. But if there was an allegation, it would be incredibly helpful if you could refer specifically to your recollections and your usual practice of what you would do when consenting for this. But what's really important is that a doctor or healthcare professional can evidence that this is their usual practice. And my worry is in this case, I don't think the doctor even thought twice about explaining. For him, it was a kind of take your top off, undo your jeans. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. the patient felt at that point, you know, she said she should have just got up and gone. But we all know sometimes it's very difficult <laughs> when you're in that situation. You don't want to be seen as making a fuss or questioning somebody who you have previously trusted. So we can't even assume consent. In this situation, somebody who comes in, she was expecting an examination. I think we talk about implied consent and in the various jurisdictions, for example, the medical regulators will talk about implied consent. And that tends to be things like when a doctor says, can I check your blood pressure? The patient will stick their arm out or they will roll their sleeve up, in which case the courts are unlikely to to question you when you said, well, their arm was there. I took their blood pressure. I think anything that could be perceived as more invasive or um, intimate. And this is where doctors are often surprised. We, for example, in the UK, think about intimate examinations of being vaginal or rectal exams, the typical things where you would very much be mindful of whether a, a chaperone is present or should be offered. But obviously, in other jurisdictions, culturally, any examination of a female by a doctor could be seen as intimate. And we've had inappropriate touching allegations about things like people examining ears or even examining knees. So as a healthcare professional and doctor, I would urge people to think not more is this intimate, but actually, is there a a chance that the patient may feel uncomfortable if I don't explain what I'm doing and if I don't offer a chaperone? Tell, Tell us about chaperones, Katie. Uh, When should we be offering chaperones? Again, it will depend a little bit on where you work and how you work and what your role is. We know that, in, as I've said, some jurisdictions, chaperones are routine for examinations. I would suggest that any examination where you think a patient may uh, consider it to be intimate or indeed may make them feel uncomfortable, you should offer a chaperone. And again, that would be the obvious ones, such as a breast or chest exam, uh, vaginal or genital exam or, or PR, for example. But again, as I've said, even examining someone's thighs or ears or shoulders can lead to allegations of inappropriate touching if the patient feels that they haven't got a, a good explanation as to why the doctor did what they did. So I would make sure that you follow your local policy, be mindful of what your regulator says. But ultimately, if you offer a chaperone, Uh, and the patient declines it and you document that, that is one of the best ways to protect yourself. So I'd say there's no hard and fast rules. Um, Like I say, just because you are not doing something traditionally deemed as intimate, that isn't protection against these allegations, unfortunately. And should female doctors do the same? Yes, I I don't necessarily think that um, being of the same gender is any protection, because, of course, we know that allegations can arise from um, clinicians and patients of the same gender, Um, being in the room. Ultimately, I think I would make sure that I offer an independent chaperone um, for any situation where you feel the patient uh, may be uncomfortable. Uh, Or if looking back, you may think, gosh, well, actually, given that I was examining her chest, perhaps I should have offered a chaperone. So I think gender is almost um, irrelevant. And did you say independent chaperone? Yes, And what I mean by that is it shouldn't ideally be a member of the family or a relative, because, of course, a chaperone should understand what the basic 
mechanisms of the examination are. So it wouldn't necessarily be appropriate to say to a partner, would you like to come and chaperone while I examine your, your girlfriend's uh, chest? Because of course, it's unlikely unless they're medical that that partner would know what a chest exam means. You know, it could mean different things to different people. So it should be somebody who's got uh, an understanding of what the examination is, um, who has been trained as a chaperone uh, and who, if necessary, could give a statement or give evidence related to um, the things that happened during that incident. Katie, thank you very much. Would you like to just sum up the, the key points that you, you, you'd like to sort of advise doctors to, to avoid these problems? I would say the biggest piece of advice is to think about your communication. Just because you know what a chest exam involves, it doesn't mean your patient knows. And just because somebody takes off their top or takes off their underwear, it doesn't mean that they're feeling safe or comfortable. So make sure that you are clear and unambiguous in your consenting. I need to examine your chest. This involves me asking you to take off your t-shirt. And what I'm going to do is have a a feel with my hands and I'm going to listen with the stethoscope. Would you like a chaperone to be present? So communication is the key and, and try and judge your patient's reaction. So if somebody does look worried or sad or seems un, uh, seems reluctant to get undressed, ask them. Don't assume they're just, um, you know, shy. It's difficult for patients to verbalise their concerns in this sort of power differential situation. So if in doubt, ask and make sure you document things. Katie, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's been a very interesting discussion. Thank you, John. Well, there you have it. I've got to say, as a GP myself, how devastating would it be to be charged with sexual assault or to be requested to go and answer in a police interview under caution after what I thought was a routine examination. The impact would be dreadful. And it's interesting to hear it from the patient's point of view as well, that power differential that Katie talked about. I'm going to be very much more conscious in future of the suggestions that Katie made of clear communication about examinations, offering a chaperone and making sure that I've got the patient's consent and that they're comfortable. I guess it's common sense, but in a busy day's practice, are we always thinking of these things? Oh, before we go, I should tell you that in this case, MPS was able to assist the doctor before and during the police interview, and in the end, no further action was taken. So that's the end of today's podcast. If you're a member of Medical Protection Society and want to know more about this topic, I really encourage you to look at the on-demand e-learning topics on PRISM under the topic of consent. A link for this training can be found in the podcast description. If you're new to these podcasts, maybe listening for the first time, make sure you subscribe to the channel to make listening easier in the future. You can access the podcast from all of your major applications, Apple, Google, Spotify, whatever. So for more information about medical protection, please look for links in the podcast description. I've been your host, John Marwick.